Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today you'll learn about how alien-like life figured out a bizarre way to survive at the bottom of the Arctic Ocean, a donut-shaped machine that just set a bunch of records in the world of nuclear fusion, and how babies are becoming superheroes in the fight against cancer and HIV. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. I, for one, am forever fascinated by oceans. They make up over 70% of the Earth's surface, and human life is not possible without them. They even play a starring role in works of art. I mean, hello, Titanic, anyone? Mm, Yes, I'm the king of the world. (sighs) I'll never let go, Nate. The ocean's mysteries are endless. Like, did you know that some experts think 200,000 different species live in the ocean, while others estimate the number is higher than 10 million? That's a very wide range. Almost just a guess. Why? Because, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, over 80% of our oceans is yet to be explored. But what we do know is that the deeper we go, the darker and creepier things tend to get. And life in the abyss begins to look a lot more extraterrestrial. Callie, tell me, is there alien life in the ocean? Is the truth down there? Keep listening. First, let's talk about sponges. Not the stinky one next to your sink, Nate. Please throw that away. I'm talking about living sponges in the ocean. They're some of the most ancient things on Earth. A study from 2021 says that they may have been around as far back as 890 million years ago. That's way before the oldest ancestor of humans showed up. I mean, that's way before most things. Dinosaurs, mammals, even trees. And early life like this tends to be super basic. Even today, sponges are technically multicellular animals, but they don't have nervous, digestive, or circulatory systems. So they rely on the natural flow of water through their bodies to provide food, like plankton. Simple enough. Now that we know all that, let's take a dip into the frigid waters of the Arctic Ocean near the North Pole and join an expedition to a place called Langseth Ridge, because what they found there was eerie. Aw, but Langseth Ridge sounds so nice, like an underwater country club. Yeah, except this is a little harder to get into. It's a series of submarine mountains, and at its deepest, it's about 8,000 feet below sea level. That's equal to about five and a half Empire State Buildings stacked on each other. But this didn't stop the expedition. The depth and all of its unknowns were exactly why they were there. I'm glad it didn't stop them, because to me... It's not really an expedition unless you're dealing with some sort of insane environment. Totally agree. Led by a professor from the Alfred Wegener Institute for Polar and Marine Research, the expedition dropped high-quality cameras and surveying equipment thousands of feet below the surface of the water. On top of mountainous peaks made by extinct volcanoes were these enormous gardens full of colossal, thriving sponges, and it made no sense. Why is that weird? Was it a big new species or something? It wasn't the species or their size that was odd. Remember how I said sponges eat through the natural flow of water? Yeah, totally. And there's water flowing everywhere around them, even down there. But no food. The researchers were baffled because they couldn't find a known source of food nearby. Like zero, zip, zilch. Not only this, the water is freezing, around 30 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's pitch black because no natural light can reach these depths. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And it sounds creepy as heck down there. You can hear the thuds, hums, and groans from nearby animals, icebergs scraping the seafloor, and seismic shifts in the earth. There's a bunch of deep sea recordings online. You should look them up, but don't do it at night. 
Uh, I do not want to go to Langseth Ridge anymore, please. I know. But somehow these sponges were down there and somehow thriving. So the researchers were either the first humans to discover an alien race that doesn't need to eat, or there was some other explanation. Using their equipment, they snapped some photos, took some samples, and hit the lab. Their analysis revealed stunning results. First of all, these sponges were, on average, older than the United States of America. They were celebrating 300 years under the sea. Okay, so they're scary close to immortal. Then they discovered that these sponges were surviving by feasting on the fossils and remains of animals that died thousands of years ago. And this is exactly what zombies do. (laughs) The dead material was spread all over the ground where the sponges were living, and it was the first time scientists had ever seen sponges eating ancient fossils. They found a new way to live. Well, I have a question. Since these animals died thousands of years ago, how is there any nutritional value? There's nutritional value because they died thousands of years ago. Fossils are full of carbon. Carbon is exactly what sponges need to grow. But they also had a little help from a friend. These sponges developed a partnership with some local bacteria that produce protective antibiotics and enzymes to help the sponge digest the fossils. So the discovery of these sponges could be a big deal for human health. Sponges contain thousands of chemicals, and some of them are already in drugs on the market, being used as antiviral or to treat cancer. So who knows what chemicals are hiding in these alienish Arctic sponges and how they can benefit us on land. Uh, I don't know how I feel about taking a pill made from an immortal zombie alien sponge. Next thing you know, I'm being arrested at the museum for eating the fossils. Nate, please don't eat the fossils. They're at the museum. That's where I'm going to be. Like, where else am I going to find them? Oh, no. Callie, I brought a surprise for you this morning. Donuts! Aw, you didn't have to do that. I hate donuts. Uh, well, I think you might actually like these ones because they're gluten-free, and they're also sugar-free and fat-free, not to mention dough-free, yeast-free, and actually entirely food-free. Food-free? What kind of donut is (laughs) food-free? Uh, a fusion reactor that is bringing humanity one step closer to harnessing limitless clean energy. Wait, what? (laughs) To help illustrate the scientific discovery I'm about to share, I've brought you a dozen mini-model tokamaks, which are nuclear fusion reactors built in the shape of donuts. Admittedly, real tokamaks are way bigger. You brought a visual aid to a podcast recording. Yes, I did. As you probably know, nuclear power plants around the world generate energy using a process called fission. This story is about another type of nuclear reaction, fusion. And the two are basically opposites. Fission tears the atoms apart. Fusion smashes them together. Actually, fusion is what powers the sun. Ah, so in a way, the solar panels I had installed on my roof are running off of fusion. I have fusion panels. Yeah, kinda. Anyway, there was a recent breakthrough at the Joint European Taurus, or JET, a fusion research facility in the UK. Powering JET's experiments in nuclear fusion is one of those tokamak nuclear reactors. That's a fun word, tokamak. It means torus-shaped chamber with a magnetic field. Now, torus is geometry speak for... A reliable mid-sized sedan. Uh, That's T-A-U, torus. This is T-O, torus. It's the geometry term for a donut shape. The visual aid helps, no? Little tokamak donuts. Did you have these made just for this? How much did you spend? Uh, It cost me exactly none dollars and of your business cents. Scientists used high-powered magnets placed around the torus-shaped unit to contain the superheated plasma essential to the fusion reaction. And on February 9th of this year, Jet's fusion donut sustained the reaction for a record length of time. 
How long was that? About as long as it takes for you to look at your phone again after putting it down. So, five seconds? Bingo! Now, I know that doesn't seem very long to you and I, but on a nuclear timescale, it's an eternity. And it also means we can achieve longer fusion reactions. Okay, but how much energy were they able to produce in those five seconds? That was another record for JET. They produced 59 megajoules of energy. 59 megajoules? That... Okay, wait, I actually don't know how much that is. It's enough to boil 60 teapots worth of water. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a whole lot either. It does not. Not to mention, it took a lot more energy to start the fusion reaction than what they got out of it. Okay, wait, I thought this was a breakthrough. We're not getting as much energy out as we're putting in, so it's just a pretty plasma light show for a handful of scientists to watch. Nate, why are you so excited about this? Because it's progress. With scientific advancement, these leaps often begin super small and seem insignificant. But think about it like this. The Wright brothers' first plane flight went just 120 feet. A little over 65 years later, we landed on the moon. Sure, the nuclear donut can only boil 60 pots of water today, but fusion is projected by some to be the major source of energy in the second half of this century. Because of Jet's achievement, your grandchildren may be using the energy generated by these fusion donuts to reheat their leftovers. Uh, excuse me, my grandchildren will finish what is on their plates. (laughs) Well, while Jet is being decommissioned after 2023, the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor, or ITER, is right around the corner. This bigger and better fusion donut is a global collaboration of over 35 countries. That baby is set to start cooking as soon as 2025, An eater is expected to be able to generate more energy than they put in. So that near limitless clean energy is a coming. Okay, okay. I now understand why you took us to Tokamak Donut Land. But what do you say we take a break and get some chicken tiki masala, a Reuben, some kimchi, anything other than a donut? Yeah, but those foods aren't shaped like a tokamak. And so they... No donuts. Donut shape. No, No donuts. Nate, a bunch of my friends are starting to have kids, and I gotta tell you, babies are easily the cutest things on the planet. Oh, they totally are. Even the not-so-cute ones are somehow the cutest ones. They are! Those little chubby cheeks and those little chunky monkey thighs, I just gotta squeeze them all. Even though these little nuggets are super helpless, they are also superheroes. You're talking about superhero babies? Infant man? Womb-der woman? (sighs) Absolutely. Now, people of all genetic backgrounds currently battling both cancer and HIV now have hope for a real cure thanks to these tiny humans. It's all because researchers recently used blood transplants from an umbilical cord to cure one woman's HIV. That is huge news because I know there are nearly 38 million people around the world living with HIV. And more than 18 million people battling cancer worldwide. So this story touches on a lot of lives. And it has to do with current treatments for HIV, cancer, genetics, donors, and stem cells from umbilical cords. So there's a lot to unpack, but trust me, it will blow your mind. Callie, I am so ready for this story. Let's go. So... Most people treating their HIV rely on a regimen of antiretroviral therapy, also known as ART. These are daily drugs that reduce the amount of HIV in your body, but ART can't cure you. Even though the disease is being managed, it still impacts how people live their lives. So was the woman you mentioned earlier on ART? She was, but she also had another disease called acute myeloid leukemia. This is a cancer that affects blood-forming cells in the bone marrow, and the best way to treat it is through a bone marrow transplant. 
Now, an important thing to know at this point is that this woman is mixed race, and doctors are aware of bone marrow donors that also have a rare genetic mutation that blocks HIV infection. In fact, there are about 20,000 of them in the donor registry. That's amazing. Let's get her some of that bone marrow. But here's the thing. Most of these 20,000 bone marrow donors with this genetic mutation are of Northern European descent. So to find a good match... You most likely have to be of Northern European descent. And she's a mixed-race woman, so she wasn't a close enough match for those bone marrow donors. Right. So the doctors got really creative. And this is where superhero babies re-enter the picture. With a bone marrow transplant off the table, they treated her leukemia with a blood transplant, but not a typical one. This blood came from an umbilical cord that also had the HIV-blocking genetic mutation. Holy moly. What's so special about umbilical cord blood? It's packed with high-quality stem cells that reboot the immune system with the added power of blocking HIV. And surprisingly, the donor and recipient don't need to be closely matched. Doctors aren't exactly sure why the cord blood works so well, but one thought is that these stem cells, since they're from a newborn, are more capable of adapting to a new environment, like the recipient's body. But the cord blood might also contain other elements to help the transplant that we aren't even aware of. Mysterious. So this works for all types of folks, not just Northern Europeans? Experts think so. Dr. Cohn von Bessin, director of the transplant service at the Whale Cornell Medical College, is on record basically saying that because the donor-to-recipient match doesn't have to be exact, it's more likely that we will find donors, which means more potential cures. And speaking of that, here's the big question. Was that woman's HIV fully cured? She left the hospital 17 days after the treatment. She stopped taking her ART drugs 37 months after the transplant, and 14 months after that, she showed no signs of HIV in blood tests. This woman has been infection-free for four years. I cannot begin to explain how monumental this is, especially for minority patients. So are we going to start giving all HIV patients these transplants? Not quite. The risks of these transplants far outweigh the risks of HIV at the moment partially because ART is so effective. So it's just being used on patients who need it for cancer treatment. But when doctors discuss the blood transplant with patients, they do inform them that it may also cure their HIV. So research is certainly going to continue and doctors are only going to learn more. So giving patients the superpowers of babies seems very promising. Experts think so. Now, one more thing before we go. We can all help folks battling these diseases by registering with an organization called Be The Match. Give them a Google. They are the world's most ethnically diverse bone marrow registry, and they do incredible work. And if we all get involved, we can all be superheroes. Just like the little bitty babies. Yeah, just like from my favorite anime. <laughs> Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. An expedition to the icy Arctic Sea uncovered large gardens full of unusual sponges on the sea floor. Not only were the sponges older than the United States, but they figured out a way to survive on a strict diet of fossils with a little help from bacteria. In February of this year, scientists sustained the longest contained fusion reaction in history, doubling their previous energy output from decades earlier. They did so using a deliciously shaped nuclear reactor. Using transplanted stem cells from an umbilical cord, doctors recently cured a woman with HIV. She was just the third person ever to be cured of the disease and the first who didn't rely on a close match with a donor of Northern European descent. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 